Hi, and welcome to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm Angie Cabe, CEO and co-founder of Intuity Performance. I'm a performance coach, HR professional, whole person leadership facilitator, and your host. The Human Side of Business podcast is fueled by the genuine curiosity to understand how personal characteristics and skills can be leveraged to drive individual and team performance, tangible outcomes, and ultimately organizational success within business. Each podcast is devoted to sharing knowledge, expanding our learning edges, and exploring the trends in corporate culture towards growing the emotional intelligence of organizations. I'm so glad you're here. Hi there, this is Ange McCabe, CEO and co-founder of Intuity Performance, where our business is the success of your business. I'm a performance coach, HR professional, facilitator, and your co-host, along with Scott Rust of the Elevate Business Podcast. The Elevate Business Podcast is a journey of discovery fueled by curiosity to genuinely understand what makes people tick when it comes to their professional path, choices made, and the personal characteristics that drive performance, tangible outcomes, and ultimately success. The Elevate Business Podcast is here to promote the enormous contribution of small and medium-sized businesses around the world by exploring the actions that make a workplace successful, the trends in corporate culture towards growing the emotional intelligence of an organization, and how we build whole person leaders from the ground up. Each podcast is devoted to sharing knowledge, growing our learning edges, and honoring our passions with a special guest who has elevated their businesses, overcome obstacles, and inspires others to do the same. So glad you're here. Hi, and a warm welcome to episode number 38 of the Elevate Business Podcast. Both myself, Ange McCabe, and Scott Russ are your hosts. We have the pleasure of introducing you to Monsef Lacuas, who leads the Boys and Girls Club of Moncton as Executive Director. Monsef has worked as the first Vice President and President-Elect of the New Brunswick Multicultural Council and acts as a board and community member of various non-for-profit organizations. He supports multicultural talent, entrepreneurship, and aims to retain international students and immigrants by making communities more inclusive and welcoming. Bonjour, Monsef. Bonjour, ça va bien. <laughs> bien, et toi? <laughs> the very best. That's fantastic. Switching back over to English here. Um, sure. so tell us a little bit about yourself, your organization, sure. the role, as well as your journey. We're interested to hear. Yes, absolutely. Well, well, I'm extremely delighted and excited to be here. Uh, it's an honor. Um, the one thing I'm going to add to that intro that you actually spoke about is I am very much passionate about retaining our talent here in New Brunswick. So you spoke about international students, and I used to be one of them. Mm-hmm. I'm also passionate about retaining immigrants as well. And also New Brunswickers, like local youth, uh, and any person who shares the passion that we do as New Brunswickers for working, rolling the sleeves to make New Brunswick probably one of the best provinces to live, love, start a family, start a business in Canada. So like I said, I am and used to be international students back then, immigrated from the beautiful and warm country of Morocco. Um, lots of you know it by Casablanca, probably the movie where everything is <laughs> and there's lots of 1,000 nights so, uh, yeah, but it was a pursuit of a dream, you know, just higher education and, uh, you know, fulfilled anything that I've dreamed of back then when I was a young man. So I just packed my stuff alone and I showed up in New Brunswick, not knowing where the heck I'm going to spend the rest of my days or my nights, just packed 
a sandwich and I got to my um, studio back then at University of Moncton and did not know a single person. And here we are, 17 years later. Um, so uh, did my first BA in finance at University of Moncton. Mm-hmm. I migrated myself to Montreal for about four years, worked in the financial district. Only realized that, you know what, there isn't like the Maritimes and packed my stuff again, quit my job back then. Give my notice, um, I believe, and I told my previous boss, you know what, I'm going to Moncton. And I was like, do you have a job? No. Do you have a place to stay? No. All I know is I have to go back because I miss the spot. And there we go. I came back in 2011 and I haven't left since then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There seems to be a lot of... Uh uncertainty on seven i'd be curious i'm shifting gears a little bit but you know when you're talking about leaving morocco and now coming to canada and then going to university where you don't know anybody and then packing up your bags again and going to montreal yeah uh it seems like you do really well in in uncertainty and and i'm curious like what what comes up for you when you think about taking that on and well i know that my my need for survival is very low (laughs) i can pretty much build the living and make your career any place in the world uh, mm. but this is the place i choose to be like i'm here in new brunswick by choice and i don't compare new brunswick to other provinces i just know that new brunswick has the biggest potential to become one of the most hot spots in canada by we have access to land and nutrient beauty and um, also there is a lot of cool things proximity with you know the port in halifax and so on and access to atlantic's Mm-hmm. Um, the ocean and so on where it can access a huge market in, in Europe and eventually Africa. There's a lot to be done. So we just have to get the right people in the right place and have the political will, the business will, and the human will just to make sure that we work together and get things done. We have a beautiful diversity in terms of languages, English and French. Um, we have beautiful talents, First Nations, the Kittings, Anglo-Saxons, immigrants like we have four beautiful diversity here in New Brunswick that we can work together and get things done so there is nothing that would prevent us from doing so and in terms of uncertainty um and it's, it's just that I'm, I'm not afraid right to to fail I mean there isn't a single thing that we're while pursuing in life that we wouldn't fail at it so it's just getting things done and then making sure that we learn so I'm not afraid, or I don't ask myself the question, what if it doesn't work out? Well, so be it. It's just, I would be exposed. I would have seen, I would have discovered, learned, built meaningful friendships, learned something out of it. And that's something that's going to stay with me for the rest of my life. So my journey in Montreal and Morocco and the States and so on is something that I carry on for the rest of my life. And they have added so much value to my life and the way I do things today. So, yeah, I mean... Just get it done. There is nothing to <laughs> there is nothing to be afraid of or nothing to lose. It's just experiences, right? Exactly. And and that's a, an amazing way to look at failure in the sense of, <laughs> you know, get it done. And if not, if I fail, then it's a learned experience. And so when it comes to looking at your successes on the flip side of things for you, how does the word performance land with you? How does that play within your journey? Well, Performance is just, for me, is the fundamental belief that deep in your guts, you want to be successful, Mm -hmm. right? And then your performance is your discipline 
and your consistency that every day you're doing something as little as it is to get there, right? And you never give up. So I'm wired and I'm conditioned to spend the rest of my life pursuing my dream. Doesn't matter what it takes. Doesn't matter if, if I'm delayed, but all I know is I'm making little progress towards it. So if could be in social enterprise, could be in business, could be in politics, could be in whatever, you know, we intend to do sports, whatever it is, education is just to have the plan. And if you have the plan, you're halfway there. <laughs> and that's the biggest thing. Well, because most people don't have a plan. Mm-hmm. I have to be honest, like, what do you do a life? Well, I don't know. I'm just something. What is that something mm-hmm. that speaks to your heart that as soon as you know, you can sacrifice the moon to get it right. So performance to me speaks about mostly the, as Will Smith will call it, the sickening daily habits of discipline, doing small little things that with time lead to bigger things and doesn't matter if progress doesn't show immediately you just have to stay at it mm-hmm. and learn from the best get best practices read books speak to consultants get coaches speak to mentors get better one percent every day if you can in a lifetime you're probably one of the 10 percent at what you do so have that thrive and and Look for being the best in whatever you do because you're passionate about it and because you want to make a huge difference in what you do. I think that really resonates with the the work that both Angela and I do. And it kind of comes, I have this saying around, you know, it's progress over perfection. And the idea isn't to be perfect, but rather if you keep progressing, you always get closer to that perfect thing, which we never actually reach. And that's okay. And I'm curious, talking about, you know, the, the planning and you have to have a plan in mind. Have you always had that plan in mind? Did that come about at some point in your lifetime? Has that changed over the years? Well, I'll say something before actually I get to that. Sure. My previous boss, Merv Sims, will say perf- perfect is the enemy of improvements. Mm. Um, so if you have that perfection idea, you will never improve because you'll just delay, delay, delay for things to become perfect. Just do it. And be good at it, right? <laughs> uh, it's like almost the idea of building a plane while flying. Uh, so the plan sometimes, I, I, I didn't have the plan in my younger days. I have to be honest, you know, I was just spending most of my time being good at what I did, which is studying. I was good at it, but I didn't have a plan, right? The plan was just to have the most blast I could have had during the day. That was the plan. Enjoy most of the time with friends and family. And, you know, I just go at it fully until you realize my mother came to me one day and she was like, what is your plan? And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, what's your plan? What do you want to do? What do you want to become? I was like, well, I never thought of it. I'm just having a blast. And that was in 18, 20s kind of thing. And I was like, I never had a plan. Um, and that made me realize that you cannot live day your life just on a daily basis kind of thing. You have to have a 20 year plan or a 10 year plan and get at it and make it even bigger, right? You can adjust the scope of your plan, but you have to have some kind of a plan. Mm-hmm. And I sat down for the first time in my life and I did one 
was like, I think I got a plan. I'm going to finish whatever I'm doing right now. And I'm going to pursue my education, higher education. I was presented with three options. And I sat down, family, you know, meeting. I remember back then it was my father and my mother and myself. I was like, okay, what do you want to do? And we'll support you in anything that you choose. And I said, I guess I'm going to Canada. Why you want to go to Canada? Well, I guess I'm intrigued by winter. It's one of them. <laughs> and uh, I'd like to see it, how it you know, feels to live in winter for six months at a time. And I just heard so many good things about Canada, like the country of peace and the country of fairness and the country of human decency. And, you know, what you can achieve your full potential. And it was like, that's it. Let's get it done. And here and I, I was on a plane. I've never traveled outside my country for my whole life. And I packed my bags with some tears and some goodbyes. And I got to a land where I did not know a single person, but it was a plan. The first one that I ever had was just to finish my BA. That's it. <laughs> because I didn't have enough means back then. Come from a middle-class family. My family, you know, sold pretty much all they had to be able to help me afford the live-in conditions that I had back then and to fulfill my dreams. So my mother and my father invested a lot in my education. That was only enough for it to get me by for the first two years. And I had to manage to find a way to pay for my tuition and my live-in and for the next two. So the plan was just to get by for the first four years and get a degree. Mm -hmm. And failure was not an option because there was no way on earth that I'm going back to, you know, my mother and my father. And I say I failed just because I couldn't get the discipline to really get at it and graduate uh, my first grade, which I did. It was phenomenal. It was mostly doing it for them most than I've ever done it for me. You know, the first one was mostly my gift to them. It's like I could do something out of it. And then when you get to that level of, you have some kind of empowerments that if I can get this small one done, I can go after bigger ones. And there we go. That was the journey that if I can get this one done with all the struggles that comes with it, I can probably adjust and rescope that plan and make it way bigger. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going after bigger dreams. That's fantastic. And, and hearing you identify that failure is not an option. <laughs> What has been the biggest learning since stepping into your executive director role? Well, it's when, when you step in into an organization that is old of 63 or 64 years, there is lots of traditions and way we do things. And I'm coming from the business side of things where I'm almost about, I mean, I'm all about efficiency and performance and KPIs and measurements. And how do you, how do, you do that in this social work environment? right? It's a little bit hard to implement. So my biggest learning was when I started, it was all about bringing that business culture to a not-for-profit culture. Mm -hmm. And for the first months and probably a year, we struggled. And because I had to understand first before leading. <laughs> and I was just fast at it. It was like, there's so much potential we can accomplish. But I skipped a lot of ways in terms of understanding the whole scope of the organization, get to getting to know people and, and on a deep level, not just getting the people what they do and how they can be part of your plan. Mm -hmm. um, the pandemic was a blessing because we just paused for the first time and we reviewed things. 
properly. And then when you do those things, that's when a lot of things change in terms of your perspective on how you can lead mm-hmm. a team first and an organization second. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting you bring that up, Monsef, because I do, I've heard that uh, saying or that silver lining before as well from other leaders that you know this pandemic has actually allowed them to slow down a little bit and reconnect with their employees and their teams to become a better leader. And I know we talked a little bit off camera around this idea of kind of shifting the mentality of putting your clients first to putting your employees first. Yeah. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, sure. In the business world where I come from, it was all about clients. Drive the client value up, they'll stay, you survive kind of thing, right? So the most the, the question of the day was, what is the, mo- the most important asset for an organization? And everybody had to answer a client. But when you lead a team, without proper man- management of, of a team, there is no client. So who drives the value every single day for the clients? The team. Who drives, who widens the triangle of value from cost to, I really like this thing, the team. Who excites the client on a daily basis? The team, right? And who's there to Im- improve and innovate and make sure that the client gets the best products and services based on what they need? Or sometimes solving the problems for clients that they don't even know they exist for them. The team. Who's running R&D every single day, making sure that we solve the problems of the future? The team. Right. So there is a lot of things that lead in this organization made me realize that you cannot drive the value up for the client without driving the value up for your team first. And also realize the struggle of losing your best talents. Because when that happens, guess what? If the client is not perceiving the value that is driven by your team, my own situation, healthcare services and after school programs and, you know, all those services that are connected and education background and so on, the parents don't necessarily see the value. Therefore, they probably decide to move on to a different organization that can provide them with the values and the services uh, they deserve to have. So I'll have to take a stand on that one and just say, you know what? I will, I will definitely go with team first, client second. And that's really interesting. It seems like the pandemic has uh, allowed a lot of businesses to pause. <laughs> and it feels like there's a shift from, you know, having the best infrastructure or IT to having the best teams. And so yes. as you're growing your team, what are some of the pain points that you've experienced? Well, it's a good way, actually, you put it when you, when you look at the pandemic, it has just made made us realize that a lot of organizations that were put in a lot of work to make sure that we're surviving as humankind, mm. we're leaning 100% on their team and their ability to accept the risk that was associated with the job, i.e. those that are called essential workers, <laughs> right? So I wasn't the most important thing back then as a client for a grocery store. Because I would have had the desire to pay $1,000 for something, but if there was nobody willing to take the risk on that, I still wouldn't have access to that product or service, right? right? So that wasn't, the mo- that wasn't back then the most important thing. Uh, the growing challenges for every organization is, in not-for-profit, in my case, it's just to grow in the revenue stream to support the capacity that you're trying to build. Mm-hmm. And in most not-for-profit, based on my own little experience, is you invest the least amount of money in personal development. And you invest all your programming, your money, mostly into programs and services. Mm -hmm. Where do you get the value most? 
from training and developing your people so they know more and then so they can do more and become more at whatever they're delivering to right. whatever right. clientele you're serving. So what the lessons I learned is we don't have the answers to all the questions that are in front of us. You need to lean an expertise. And if that expertise is not in-house, go get it and go get it ASAP because whatever you're trying to develop may not produce the value. You still waste time and money and you're not at the service delivery that you wish to have. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm speaking consultants. If there is the best out there that can do the job in terms of giving you advice on how things can be done properly, could it be in terms of IT? Could it be in terms of value for products and services or marketing, whatever it is? You need to hear that advice, right? Uh, could be HR. You need to have that advice because we're not experts at everything. I am passionate about some, some things, but I the reason why our organization is successful today is because we're tapping into the community's knowledge mm-hmm. to tell us how we can do things properly from mm-hmm. their own perspective and accept that advice and sometimes be willing to raise money to pay for it so you can become better at it. Right. And and something that's coming up for me there is is listening to your team and hearing what the team needs as well as aligning it with your company vision with regards to training and development. And so for your team directly in Moncton, what has been like the top three things that have come up by way of um, necessity or want or need when it comes to training your team uh, to get them to that next level? That's a beautiful way to put it, honestly, Ansh, um, because when you're in leadership position, you think you have to have the answers for everything. Mm. But most of the time, the answer is within the team because they're the experts in what they do. Um, to, to, to lean on that and to trust it and to make it part of the decision-making process is bolded. So a leader is not just a person who sits there to make all the decisions. For me, that's not how it works. Sometimes we make decisions based on consensus, right? What does the team think? Because mm-hmm. what does the team think is, mo- in most cases, the best case scenario. Right. Uh, they know exactly how that decision is going to affect them on a day-to-day basis. So what the team actually are expressing is the flexibility and ability to contribute to that decision-making process. Mm. That's number one, because everybody's leading in some capacity. Like the organization doesn't have a leader. The organization have leaders in their own ways. And our job as, you know, Leaning on those that expertise to make sure that we get it and capitalize on it to make sure that we get make the best decisions. So, what they want eventually is to be heard. They don't. They want to make decisions or speak their mind freely without consequences on their their day to day. They want flexibility and open space so they can innovate. They want space so they can make mis- mistakes without consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to grow as human beings. They want to learn more. They want the organization to support them in their personal endeavors, right? They want the organization to be flexible. If a mother has to take care after a child while that is waiting for a COVID test or something, it doesn't have to be a vacation or a sick day, that they can take that time off to do the right thing while trying to work from home if they can, right? So. We are running organizations that 
of the 21st century with policies and procedures that were designed from way much back that are still dictating the way we do things today. We don't have to be that rigid. Allow the team the flexibility and they'll impress the heck out of you with all the stuff that they can do for the organization. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be strict on 8.31 in your desk versus leaving at five o'clock and your lunch has to be from 12.01 to, you don't need to do those things. People don't need to be controlled to provide you with the best productivity. The opposite, more freedom is more productivity, right? So right now, I am extremely honored and impressed by their level of creativity, their unconditional, and their their ethics Mm. is beyond outstanding. If somebody can't do something, they'll let you know. I don't have to be here to expect loyalty good management, proper procedures that this organization can run on a daily basis without me. And they know exactly what they're supposed to do. And they do it because they care, number one. And number two, they're trained. And number three, they're they're all owners. They know exactly that they're parts and a conditional part of the organization. And without them, nothing much will be accomplished. Wow. And, and what I'm really hearing there, when Seth, is like, there's a lot of great uh, themes coming out of there around, you mentioned, you know, flexibility, uh, leaving your team and allowing individuals to be autonomous as to, you know, how and when they get their work done, uh, and then creating an environment that empowers them to succeed and where they can take ownership over their job and over their work. And by creating that space for them to do so, they actually get the results you're looking for. And they impress the heck out of you most of the time. Because they do things that you were never expecting them to do. They do them because they're happy, they're encouraged, they're supported, they're empowered, and they have a huge sense of belonging. And as my previous you know, mentor used to call them, mental, I mean, owners versus renters. <laughs> they're part of the business, not just clocking the hours and waiting for the paycheck to show up. And by the time, I know, by 4 o'clock or 4.30, as soon as the time hits, they're out of the building, running. That's not what we have here in this in this organization. We have people, as long as I do, my job is to share the vision every single day. Transfer that passion, that forecast to them as much as possible. My job is to reassure them that their jobs are not on the line. My job is to make sure that we have the abundance conversation versus the cost conversation. That it's not about saving a dollar that we will get better. But it's just about producing more value, therefore telling that story to the community increasing the fundraising and injecting more into their compensation packages. That's what my, my, my job is, is to grow the pie, make sure that they're properly compensated, make sure that we invest in their benefits. Recently, we just created a wellness subsidy that we do pay for their gym if they have to go, or we do pay for their yoga classes and it's on the company. For not-for-profits, you don't see those things happening a lot yeah. because we're all about saving money because we're a charity. Yes, we are a charity, but we're still competing the exact same way as any business for best talent. In order for us to thrive, we need to have the best team. And in order, when we have the best team, well, you don't expect your people to work for free just because they were working in a charity business. You need to compensate them properly because that's what you should do. And when you do those things, people are feeling part of something bigger. They give you the best of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot in that response too, Monsef, in the sense of, you know, really 
stretching the model and the, I guess, the older thought process around non-for-profits and how they show up for their team yep. members. And yep. it, it really, it feels like a threat that you're weaving your team together with, with regards to ensuring that they're taken care of and that it's a really give, give and take situation for you to ensure that you're empowering them and that their wellness is top of mind as well so that they can give their best. In um, adding into that, what are three words of inspiration that you would want the world to hear? Three. <laughs> We're flexible. We're not going to hold you to it. Or less. Uh, well, the, the first that, that come to mind is, is make it count. We all have a ticket. Life from the moment that we're born till the moment that we, you know, we're not around anymore, uh, we'll, we'll be remembered by what we've done. What we've done in terms of, yes, in terms of businesses we've created, in terms of things that we have accomplished as a human beings. But what we may be remembered for is our connection with other human beings and who, how we made them feel, or how we supported them, or how we made a better impact on their life. That's that's significant. So my intake on that is is do something that you love, that is meaningful to you, that you're passionate about, that you can do almost free, and do not worry about the rest. Mm-hmm. There is there is a law, just like the law of gravity, that will compensate every single human being who's making it count. Once up, it seems like you're making a count and you're following your passion and living those words uh, wisely. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Thank you for leaving us with those words. And we really appreciate you joining us today, Monsef. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And we're also excited to share uh, your leadership and performance perspectives with our Intuity Performance subscribers. And for those who would like to learn more about uh, the Boys and Girls Club of of Moncton, we're going to provide a link to uh, the company's profile from the Elevate Business Podcast title page. Take good care. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Business Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the program. You can subscribe to future podcasts at intuityperformance.com where you can also sign up for webinars and learn more about professional coaching and our facilitation solutions available to help fire up your whole person performance skills and drive actions for success. Until next time, stay true to you and take care of each other. We are all better together. Thanks for listening to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm glad you could join us. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to stay updated with our latest content, make sure to visit our website. The link can be found in the episode description where you can subscribe to the podcast, sign up for our newsletter and learn more about our whole person leadership services. Sounds interesting? Explore the whole person leadership cohort by Intuity Performance, a unique program that offers unparalleled support to managers on every step of their leadership journey. Our program features evidence-based assessments, workbooks, group coaching, and interactive learning experiences to help you level up your leadership skills. Reach out today to apply to one of our upcoming cohorts. Until next time, take care and stay curious.